Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Mike Russo. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. If you're not a subscriber, dollar a month right now, dollar a month. Uh, we'll get you in for six months. Please subscribe because I just had to drop about a quick 400 bucks on a one-way flight from from uh where are we ronald reagan to nashville so i've been here six hours was on delta immediate uh maintenance delay and uh next i know they delay the flight to at least one o'clock and tell me i'm going to get to nashville tomorrow so uh they wouldn't put me on american so i booked a one-way on american and uh so that's where i am six hours after i got here around 5 a.m so another uh, just added story to a long uh, season of just travel uh, uh, nightmares just over and over and over again. So uh, pretty wearing. But uh, another really good win by the Wild last night here in Washington. Uh, 5-1 victory over the Washington Capitals. Capitals hadn't played in six days. You figured they'd be rusty, but man, did they have no legs. And it pretty much was no legs all game long because the Wild played so, so well defensively. And that was one night after the Wild also only gave up one goal in North Carolina to beat the Carolina Hurricanes. So two Eastern Conference heavyweights the Wild beat on back-to-back nights. Good start to this four-game trip that now goes on to Nashville and St. Louis. The team uh, takes uh, will take uh, today off on Monday, play the Predators on Tuesday. Then they have a team bonding golf outing on Wednesday in Nashville, but the weather is supposed to be uh, harrowing, so I'm guessing that will be canceled. Um, maybe we'll find out from our guest today, uh, Director of Team Operations, uh, Andrew Height. Andrew Height, returning champion to this podcast. He's been on here so, so many times. He'll tell us just about what uh, type of year this has been with helping plan the Winter Classic. Um, you know, everything from the Miko Koivu retirement to um, to obviously dealing with uh, scheduled rescheduled games for the pandemic and things like that. And <clears throat> then the team bonding uh, thing, we'll see what they do Wednesday if they can't golf. Uh, then they go on to St. Louis. They'll practice in St. Louis on Thursday and then play the Blues on Friday, their first game in St. Louis this year, their first game in an indoor rink against St. Louis this year because remember the Winter Classic was uh, a game where the Wild lost 6-4, to four, didn't have a good first couple periods, rally back late to make the score look a little... Um, <clears throat> more, uh, you know, uh, respectful, respectable, um, but obviously not a good game for the Wild that night. And Matt Zuccarello let him have it. And what did he do after that? The Wild, uh, they went on a 10-game point streak. So Wild now on a 10-game point streak again. So they've been on a 9-game point streak this year, a 10-game point streak, and now a 10-game point streak going into Nashville. They're 9-0-1 in their last 10 games, and they have um, given up in those 10 games just 16 goals. And remember, they had given up about 70 goals in the 15 games prior. Now, 11 of those, I believe, were empty netters. Um, but obviously, this team needed to tighten up defensively. They needed to get better goaltending, and now they are doing that not only from Cam Talbot, but from Marc-Andre Fleury, who is 3-0 uh, 
uh, with the Wild so far. But Cam Talbot hasn't let Mark Andre Fleury's arrival uh, shatter his confidence by any stretch. He's eight. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, eight zero and one in his last nine starts. So, um, really, really um, good hockey coming from this team right now. Kirill Kaprizov breaks the franchise record uh, the other night with one goal and one assist in. Uh, Raleigh. He now has 85 points with 14 games to go uh, and looks on pace. Uh, uh, looks as long as he's healthy that he'll shatter that 100 uh, point mark that nobody in wild history has ever done. He's also three goals from 42 to tie Eric Stahl and Marion Gabrick for the goals record. So, um, you know, really good game for by him and Carolina. Uh, Matt Zugrello now an assist away from tying Pierre Marc Bouchard's record and actually Kaprizov is right behind him. Um, Kaprizov um, Ovechkin, first game they played against each other last night here, uh, neither player was very good. Uh, Ovi st- stopped on uh, a couple shots early, had four in the game, assisted on the late um, Hathaway goal in the third period that really just uh, turned a 4 nothing game into a 4-1 game and did really nothing for the game. So Kaprizov, though, um, yeah, you know, as, as tough a game as we've seen him play, just really wasn't creating much, had no shots on goal in his first game against Ovechkin, but uh, obviously uh, just playing great hockey alongside Matt Zuccarello. The grief line last night, Eight points plus three, um, and uh, three goals, two by Erickson Eck and one by Felino. Each hit the 20 goal mark. The Wild now have six 20 goal scorers. That's tops in the NHL, tied with the Florida Panthers and the St. Louis Blues. So um, now these games against Nashville and St. Louis are pretty uh, important to, uh, in terms of the Wild have 91 points, I believe a five point edge now in St. Louis uh, for that third spot. So home ice advantage obviously would be huge for this team going into the first round for a team that doesn't get past the first round often, but also would be very, very important because this team has just been great at home. At home. But St. Louis and Nashville have had their the Wilds number. Nashville has beaten them two times this year convincingly. St. Louis uh, one time in the Winter Classic, but last year, remember, the Wild were 2-4-2 two, two against the Blues and were out, outscored, if I remember correctly, 35-19. to 19. So they've got to show that they can beat the Blues. I do think the Blues are beatable this year. Um, in fact, I actually am of the opinion that the Blues would be a better matchup for Minnesota than Saint, than, uh, than Nashville, but that's just obviously an opinion. But it'll be interesting because the Wild play two games in St. Louis, two games in Nashville the rest of the way, and obviously those games could, may, uh, it could really decide – um, you know, frankly, who the Wild are going to play in the first round of the playoffs. So, um, yeah, uh, team is playing really well. Um, they're getting great, great play, a lot of quality depth from a lot of guys in the lineup. Um, we're seeing Dean Evison, you know, the front end of a back-to-back, no penalties really in the game. So he's able to roll four lines, control his ice time for a game against Washington where the Wild had a lot of energy playing two times in 24 hours. But they're getting really quality play from the Tyson Joes, the Jake Middletons, and the Nick Deloriers, three guys that Bill Guerin acquired at the trade deadline. I mean, look at look at the last couple minutes of these games when the Wild are trying to defend and with an extra attacker who's on the ice guys like Delorier, Jost, Felino, um, you know, and, and Dean Evison told the players after the game in Carolina that really they played so well that he could have put anybody on the ice to defend those, uh, those, uh, minutes there. Uh, Fleury has been awesome as we talked about, um, and has added a refreshing, refreshing, uh, presence in that locker room by all. I mean, it's just been 
really fun to watch. Uh, the only the only sad part is when you cover Mark Andre Fleury, you want to kind of hang out in the locker room because he says so many funny things when you just hang out by his stall and it's just such a endearing presence. And um, you know, unfortunately, it's a little different. Obviously, when you we're in, we're in a position right now because of the pandemic where we're still getting guys out of the locker room. Hopefully, that changes. I'm not sure about in the playoffs, but hopefully, definitely by next season, uh, we'll be more back to normal. Uh, you know, even if we had a test, uh, you know, I went down to the GM's meetings last week. We tested when we got there. If we were negative, we didn't have to wear a mask around Gary Bettman and Bill Daly. And it was just, uh, you know, it just made life a lot more uh, normal feeling. So, um, you know, just my opinion on that. It'd be nice to get back in the locker room. Um, Guarantee, uh, as I said, uh, you know, I'm doing this podcast, the open of this podcast from Ronald Reagan Airport before I get to Nashville, but I'll be talking to Andrew Height later, but I guarantee it's going to be a good podcast. It always is with Andrew Height, who's got the most stressful job in the world, and I wish he helped me today. He would have been able to probably get me on a private jet to Nashville. Who knows? Uh, Before we get to Andrew, here's a word from one of our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, returning champion is Andrew Haidt. Andrew has been on the podcast many, many times, and he's always backed by popular demand. Uh, fans just love uh, hearing your your stories, some of your horror stories, because you are the logistical uh, expert of the Minnesota Wild, Andrew. I mean, you have you know do all the travel. I always see it hold up in your office, uh, you know, busy, busy as a bee. And, um, and this has been a, another, you know, every year it feels like has been challenging. Last year we talked about the pandemic. Um, and this year you've had everything from the winter classic to the Miko Koivu, uh, Jersey retirement to more reschedules. It's been a, it's been a fun year or busier. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Michael. Um, I'd like to say I'm the voice of many people, and that's why (laughs) people want me back, because I'm the the eyes that can tell the stories. But um, yeah, it's been an interesting year. Before this year started, I said all along, I said, I think this is going to be the toughest year yet from the last three, just because we're pushing so hard to get back to what the, you know, quote unquote, new normal is. Um, and as the economy opens back up and, you know, everyone wants to get back out and try to, you know, live a normal life, we're still trying to manage and, and get through to, to have a successful season. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, this year is definitely the toughest. Yeah, we don't have the, the outbreaks and the, the uh, you know, the, the hardcore testing that we had to go through the first couple of years and, and dealing with the actual you know, virus inside the locker room. But as far as logistics go, this is by far the toughest um, season, you know, uh, of the last three. Yeah, because you're also navigating a couple of special things in the in between. But really, up until the All-Star break, it, it did feel like we were hardcore still in the pandemic because they were testing every day. And when you test every day, you're, yeah. you're getting positives. I don't think that magically in the last m- two months that COVID has dropped off the NHL planet. Uh, it's like two guys, I think, have tested positive, Kyle Ton- Connor and Adam Lowry. Uh, but it <laughs> Yeah, and I think that goes back to, you know, the, the league has put it, you know, kind of back on the teams to make sure we monitor it properly and we're still abiding by the the 
um, jurisdictions put in by each city as well as, you know, making sure that we follow the guidelines that are still in place with the league. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't think it's out in the open as much or I don't think it's, you know, as visible, but we're still on the back end of it, really being cautious and really making sure that the guys and our full travel party and everybody involved are, are following the rules. And um, just like everybody involved through the fans, to the players, to the front office, to um, the support staff, we just want to finish the year like we've done in the past and, you know, get to that Stanley Cup. So we, we, we're, we're still obeying the rules. Right. What was it like that December day when Carolina, it became very clear that they had an outbreak uh, when they were at XL Energy Center and that really triggered, you know, really an upheaval in the wild schedule, even though you guys didn't have the outbreak. Um, you know, Detroit had a cancellation game, uh, a postponed game. Um, uh, obviously, Winnipeg had a couple. Uh, that was mostly because of attendance, not really COVID. Um, Carolina, there was one other team as well, but what they wound up being was about eight or nine of your games. Yeah, we, you know, it, and like I said, this year was interesting because we had a a transition from, you know, the start of the year was still very heavy COVID conscious. And there was a lot, you know, clearly because, you know, with the NHL not going to the Olympics, we used that full month to make up games. Mm -hmm. I think there was over, you know, don't, quote my exact number, but I think there was over 120 to 140 games that needed to be made up in the league, um, league wide, you know, over that three week span. Um, And we had seven to be made up. Mm -hmm. And whether they were because of us or not, we still had to get mentally focused to lose that break and, you know, play on and and, um, you know, that was one of the, the big hurdles that I've, I've faced this year is, is rescheduling and, and making sure that all the logistical pieces are, are in place to make it happen. Um, you know, just with, you know, as the NHL is trying to reschedule schedule games, so is the NBA. Mm-hmm. You know, we both use Delta. You know, there was, there was a lot of layers that needed to fall into place to make sure we could even just get to point A to B. Yeah, especially up in Canada where, you know, you have all the testing protocols and yet, but you went up there on three different trips in, you know, and played, what was it, uh, six games in and, Canada in February. And that was where, you know, we all held our breath as yeah. we tested to and from. And, and Tell me about it. Um, you know, that was, that was where it was interesting because, you know, the Canadian jurisdictions in each city were so much different than the U.S. at the mm-hmm. time. So we just really had to maintain or, or manage the players and the, the travel party's expectations of what, you know, what we can do, what, what the, the testing process is, what the, you know, if, if you get stuck in Canada, how can you get back? You know, there was, there was stories of, you know, other counterparts having to try to smuggle people across the border, right? <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. So um, knock on wood, we didn't have to. We we stayed healthy during that time, and and um, now hopefully just it's in the rearview mirror. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it's funny in the, in the month of February, I think in a span of a week, I got tested seven times once because, you know, like I had I had to take one test in Winnipeg on a Wednesday, and then we were going to Calgary a couple of days later, and that test was like three hours too soon for me to fly to Calgary. So I land from Winnipeg and have to go right to a CBS. I think, I think was, that day you actually asked me if you could just fly in the yeah, belly of the plane yeah, just to I, get there. I, 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 well, the one thing I remember that day in Calgary, I said to you, I'm like, hey, I'm just telling you right now, if I test positive, I'm coming to beg you to get me home some way. I don't, I don't know if Billy would have approved an air ambulance home for uh, for the beat writer, but uh, but very, uh, um, you know, but that, it was it was 
pretty uh, nerve wracking. You, you know, know? And, and leading up to those seven games that we had to, um, re, you know, the postponed games that we had to, to make up, you know, leading up to the year, we were so road heavy, right? We, we were on the road. We were, you know, winning hockey games. We were having fun. Um, but there's still that grind, that extra grind of being on the road, um, hotel to hotel, city to city, time zone to time zone. And, you know, then you lose that that break as well. And mm-hmm. you got to power through and, and battle through those next seven games. And, you know, credit to, you know, our, our group, our, our players, our coaches, management to keep that morale high during that time. Because, you know, in a grind season like we do every year, you kind of look for those moments where you can take a breath. No doubt. And that that span we weren't able to take a breath and we managed and, and we battled through it but um that was a tough that was a tough point through the year you know we and we can talk about this here in a little bit but the winter classic yeah you know there was so much build up to the winter classic and so much planning and so much hype and and you know so much just from a player's perspective too family friends everyone coming into town um you know that was exhausting in itself and then to get to the next point where you think you're going to take a breath and you're not able to again just credit to our group to to battle through it the uh winter classic you found out really last minute that the families were gonna have to get tested uh tell everybody how you set that up yeah you know what it was we've as an organization and and you know credit to to craig leopold and and you know the senior management staff or, or group who've been working with the league for years. We've been working f- with the league for years to try to get this game. And, you know, we, it was postponed as of la- you know, last year with COVID. And so we were able to, to have it this year. And, and, um, but target field, unbelievable, unbelievable venue. I, you know, I was fortunate enough to open that venue in 2010 when I was with the Minnesota twins. Um, it, but it's not made for for negative 20 degree weather yeah so we had to work you know endless hours with their operation staff with the league with with our group to make sure everything was in order just in case we had a, a below freezing day which it i think did. we can all remember back it was negative 27 i think at puck drop yeah so um i think you know to get over those little hurdles plus add the covid um you know, testing and all the COVID restrictions for family interaction and whatnot. It was a big, big project. And, you know, you can only check so many boxes, right? And, until you feel good about going into an event. And an event at this magnitude, um, you never feel fully prepared. And you just got to tell yourself the little things that don't get done, no one else is going to know about, right? It's just with a large trip or a, a, an event or whatnot. So anybody that's in events and planning knows that. Right. Um, but when you have continually, when you continually have, you know, curveballs thrown at you till literally the day that the event happens, you just lose a lot of sleep, right? right. You know, I think there was a 72 hour span where I didn't sleep leading up to that, that event. Um, and we were, it was, the Wednesday before the game, so two days before we had the family skate and the practice and, you know, all the activities kick off, we had a final meeting with the league and um, it was decided that every family member or guest who was going to family skates and be around the group needed to be COVID tested. So I think we had 270 people that needed to be COVID tested within the next 24 hours. So working with uh, John Worley and his group and the, uh, the, the building folks, we were able to pull, pull off a drive-through testing facility and 
um, make sure that everyone involved was was negative and um, then you always worry about the positives too. How right. do you how do you deal with that? So, um, just another hurdle that we had to get through, but get over, and and we did. And overall, the event could not have gone better um, with all the obstacles that we were faced. The um, the uh, um, you know the the one that really still I feel bad for is Jonas Bardeen. You know, like to. I just remember talking to him in Dallas, and he was talking about it. I was so excited. He'd never played an outdoor game in his life, and missed. Remember the the game at TCF? I think with a broken foot. Yeah, it and was. You know, then he tests positive, and then he tested positive, with no and, symptoms. and no symptoms. But you got to follow. You know, right. you got to follow the rules, and you got to follow the the guidelines to make sure that everyone else is around is is staying healthy. And yeah, it was a it was definitely a bummer. As you know. Broads is one of the, the favorite guys in the locker room and yeah. everyone loves to have him around. So, um, yeah, it was unfortunate for him, but, um, I think if you asked him today, are you, are you bummed you missed it? He'd say, yeah, but look where we are now. Right. right? No doubt. And he's playing unbelievable hockey right now. Uh, um, Andrew, like what was your favorite part of the winter classic? Like what are the, like the, you know, even as beat writers, we saw a lot, but we didn't see it a lot. We weren't allowed on the field, things like that, that other writers in the past usually get to do. Um, what were some of the kind of behind the scenes things that like a lot of fans didn't get to see? They, you know, like I remember I was talking to Felino and Greenway and they're like, yeah, all we did was like eat soup between periods <laughs> and you know, all the stuff that I mean, it had to be just absolutely I remember talking to Capo Kakin and he's like, yeah, they didn't think of giving the backup goalie the heated chair and he's sitting there on a, on a ice cold on the bench. And then he's suddenly in the game in the third period. You know, I think looking back to 2016 at TCF, that was really cool um, with the uh, stadium series game as that was our first outdoor game. Yeah. Right. And that was the weather was perfect. It was a, it was honestly storybook as it started to light snow after the second period and um we we won the way we did against chicago um but this one selfishly for me just having my past relationship um with the minnesota twins mm -hmm. it was really one of those where two uh two worlds collided and um you know we brought Rod McCormick, the equipment guy um, from the Twins, along with Dustin Morse, the PR guy, and Mike Herman, um, my, my counterpart. We brought them as in as assistants. Mm -hmm. um, so I got to joke all couple days that they were I was their boss for the day. <laughs> so um, as you know, I was just starting off my career with them um, years ago. So they were you know my boss. So um, just to have that interaction again with them, um, and then really the moment that that gave me chills the most was not because of the cold, but the, the chilling moment for me was as the guys were being announced um, from center yeah. field. And I looked up cause I was out there kind of directing traffic. Um, I looked up and saw the ballpark and, and was able to kind of take a deep breath and say, we made it, yeah. you know, everything that was planned was in place and it was out of my control at that point. I think that was my moment that I, I said, damn, this is fun. Yeah, now it's on the players. We got yeah. here. Um, <laughs> next uh, thing that you had a plan was uh, that, that a lot, I know a lot of people plan was the Miko Koiva Jersey retirement. and uh, But the logistics, the invited guests, the parties, um, all that type of stuff, uh, that was your baby. I, I watched you for weeks on end uh, planning that stuff. Um, how, do, how does one plan that and also like keep Miko in a loop but keep a lot of the surprises you know I think working with Miko for the last eight seasons right or having him be around for the last eight seasons with me um, since my start with the wild we became really close friends 
And to be able to be a part of this so hands-on as I was, um, was not only gratifying from a, a career standpoint, as he was the first number, you know, number nine's the first number to be retired for us, but also from a friend standpoint and just really be, be in the middle of it and with his friends and family. And, you know, he had over 25 people fly in from Finland. Um, we had over 25 alumni come in for it. Um, all of his local family and friends as well. So, you know, there was 80 to 100 people that were in the building just for Miko that day. Um, but yeah, it was, again, it was one of those where the year started off COVID hot and then we got to the winter classic and then we got to the reschedule of games and then we got to the Miko Koivu day mm -hmm. and then we got what's next. Right? right. So, um, to be able to, to get through that weekend was another achievement, but also the stress of the buildup to it. A lot of meetings, you know, credit to, to our, our marketing and business folks for the attention to detail on a lot of things. Um, and really being, having the communication be open to what would Miko want? And anybody that was at the game or watched on, on Bally's was, they noticed that, you know, I'm going to pat myself on the back and pat the wild on the back because I would say that this, there was not one thing left out. Mm. We, we hit it out of the park and, and Miko appreciated every moment of it. And to bring 25 alumni in, um, guys like Kyle Brodziak, Nick Backstrom, um, Sean Hill, um, Clayton Stoner, some of these guys, you know, Pierre-Marc Bouchard, I know you had a podcast with mm -hmm. him. This was the first time that he had been back yeah. to Minnesota since leaving the organization. And that opens up another conversation that we're having continually and you're gonna you know people are gonna see some pretty fun stuff come out soon with the alumni and um i don't want to give too much information now but i can tease it um we're that i'm heavily involved with right now on on the alumni side so meaning that um, alumni will start to be uh, like like you know there we're 22 years in now. right you yeah, know we they have wanted a, i know during the 20th year to almost bring in one by one and yeah, start on, and honoring them we've uh we're 22 years in and we have an alumni we have a strong yeah. history now of of very good players and very good human beings that played for our organization and everyone in today's current organization knows we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the alumni and uh, it, it, just like the league in general and, and league overall, it's, it's, we, we take pride in our alumni. And I think that's going to be really exciting to see over the next couple of years. Um, mm -hmm. But to see those guys get back together, the banter hasn't stopped and story time opens yeah. up. And, you know, you got stories of, you know, Tony DaCosta doing stuff from year one and the guys <laughs> still remember it or, or you know, Backy and Brodzy laughing about something I did six or seven years ago. And it's just fun to, to get the guys back. And it just proves that the banter never stops. Stoner was the last commit, right? Wasn't yes. it? Like, you came up to me in like Columbus or Detroit. You know, like, you're not going to believe this. Stoner just said I'm in. I'm like, well, how much did that flight cost well, you? It was funny because I'd called, I'd called Stoner a couple of weeks prior to the event and just said, you know, you know, invited him back as, as I did with all the other. I think we spoke, I spoke with 40 alumni. Um, and 25 or 26 were committed. And, you know, I think that's a great, great turnout for, you know, everyone has their own lives going on. And, right. and um, a lot of them did tribute videos and whatnot. But um, to have that committed group come back was really fun to see. And so I reached out to Clayton a few weeks 
prior to the event and he couldn't do it. Um, his, his daughter was kind of in a playoff hunt of her own mm -hmm. and he was a coach for it. And, um, but then the night before he was supposed to travel, <laughs> he calls or he texts me and he goes, I feel guilty. Call me. And I had no idea what that meant. So I call him and I said, what's going on? And he goes, I, I feel guilty. I'm not there. Book me my flight. And sure enough, he, he just wanted to get back with the boys and be there for Miko. So yeah. pretty cool. That's cool. cool. Um, were you surprised at how broken up Miko was when that number hit the ceiling? It was an unbelievable moment that I think will be remembered forever. You know, you, you asked me earlier, what were some of the behind the scenes of the Winter Classic? Um, and, you, could, you know, I, I got a different perspective of a lot of the stuff. And same with this event. As I was planning it, you know, Miko has really been able to take a step back and look at how much the organization meant to him and meant to his family and his, his life overall. And I think he took everything to heart that we did. And he, we, we talked multiple times every day leading up to it. Mm -hmm. And just to make sure he was prepared and, you know, every time he, he had to take a deep breath because he was overwhelmed. By just the what the organization was doing, the the fan reaction, and you know all the above. So, um, am I surprised for the emotion? No. Would the general fan be? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but I saw it kind of along the way, and and he he knows that the Minnesota Wild are are part of him, and to see that banner raise up, he was he was taken back as we all saw. Yeah, you could tell how appreciative he was. And then it doesn't end for you. Uh, trade deadline a couple of weeks later. Um, it is funny. Uh, you know, again, sort of like you're saying that you get a different perspective seeing these things like Miko Koivu behind the scenes that we don't see. You know, same thing. Sometimes I get to see you work your magic on a day like today. And as I'm running around tweeting, getting scoops and all this stuff, I'm, I'm kind of peering in your office and I see you because you're pretty much at that point on trade deadline day. You're on real time finding out, all right, I got to get Marc-Andre Fleury here. I got to get, you know, this guy here, that guy here. What was that day like for you? You know, I think, again, um, just kind of it's a it's a wait until the fire drill is pulled or the fire alarm is mm -hmm. pulled and then, you know, 100 miles a minute. Right. And waiting for for Billy G and, and Chris O'Hearn to, to give information as each deal is, you know, kind of concluded and, and put together. And and, you know, then the next step is reaching out and, and connecting the dots. And, um, you know, with Josty coming on. That was a unique one because, you know, every every trade has a unique twist. And, you know, every guy's coming from a different location. They have a different family dynamic. They have, um, you know, X, Y, and Z that the other one doesn't have. And you just really welcome them to Minnesota as quick as you can and as passionate as you can and, and make sure that they feel welcome. Um, you know, for instance, Josty, they were in Colorado, was in L.A., um, we got him here as quick as possible so he could play the next day. And he was traveling with, uh, pretty much a, a small duffel of a couple pairs of warm clothes and one suit. And we were about ready to embark on that long trip. And, you know, it, so he trying to work with that and, you know, him being a, a single guy ended up flying his mom in from Edmonton. Um, flying her from Edmonton to Colorado so she could pack his things to come to Minnesota. Um, and then, you know, as the, the 
trade deadline day happened, you know, you kind of sensed that we were going to have a busy day. So you kind of wipe your calendar just to be ready. Mm -hmm. And then it was, you know, boom, boom, boom. And try to juggling four, you know, four relocations at once is always a, yeah. a puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. And Joe, you were his welcoming party, right? I heard yes. Bill Guerin thank you for that. So. We, um, you know, it's always one of those things like how can you make a, a, a new guy feel as welcomed as possible, right? And, and again, credit to Craig and Billy and the coaches, you know, Dean and the coaches. Our main goal is to create an atmosphere that guys want to play for, right? Mm -hmm. Guys want to be in our locker room. Guys want to play for the Minnesota Wild. Guys, guys know that we're a first-class organization. And as each one of these guys signed, that was the theme of the conversation was we've heard so much, so many good things about this group or, you know, we heard Dean is unbelievable or we, you know, Billy G is, is wow. Right. And mm -hmm. to hear that repetitively coming in was like, you know, it was, it was a pretty powerful moment for myself as well, because a lot of that falls on myself and the support staff to make sure that day-to-day -day culture exists. Right. And we have such a tight-knit group on a daily basis that we, we take pride in that. And um, so to have that come in and, and as I welcomed Josty, you know, I picked him up from the airport. I brought him around. I, I, you know, I showed him where the practice facility was. We actually stopped by the St. Paul Hotel so that um, Billy and Craig, they were having dinner, could uh, welcome them as him as well. And um, that's just the way that his Minnesota time started. Yeah, right. When do you on that day know that, all right, I don't have to get a commercial flight from Marc-Andre Fleury? I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and is that Craig that just says, all right, you can have my plan? Or, or do you have any part of that? You process? know, I think, and it's funny because like Delorier, he's, you know, he's a jokester, right? Right. He's like, where's he goes, my Where's charter? my private jet from Anaheim? <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, wait a minute. Well, well let's pump the brakes a second. <laughs> you're, you're not in the middle seat. <laughs> no, let's pump the brakes a second. It, 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 all the, the stars aligned for that situation, right? Chicago's close. Um, you know, our Craig, our owner has his, his private plane and mm -hmm. um, he goes back and forth to Racine um, on a, a you know, very frequent basis, um, which is right outside of Chicago. So um, for for the plane to go down and pick him up and we wanted to get him there, get him to Minnesota as soon as possible, you know, because we were a goalie short because mm -hmm. we that was the same afternoon that um, Capo went to um, San Jose. So mm -hmm. we were either going to need to bring a goalie up from Iowa or get um, Flurry here to, to back up. And like I said, everything just kind of aligned and it worked for Billy to, to head down on the, the plane to get him. And after the fact, when I was talking to Flower, I said, did you know Billy was picking you up? And he kind of chuckled and he said, I did, but I thought he meant pick me up from the airport, not pick me up in Chicago. <laughs> so that was that was a funny moment to to kind of talk through what he he saw. And yeah. um, again, just the level of commitment um, that Billy G had for each move was it's incredible. Yeah, these are the type of things that mean a ton to a player. There's no doubt about it. What was it like? Um, like when you were the one that uh, pulled Capo off the ice, right? Um, like yeah. when? How do you get that call? And do you at that point know where he's going, or are you are you just given a text to call says, "Hey, go out there and get Capo." You know, I think it, it happened. I think John Worley actually got the call. And I was closest to the bench um, in the hallway, and he just kind of motioned to me and said, hey, you know, pull Capo off. Trade deadline day, 
from an operation standpoint, you knew what had happened, right? right. Um, I, I watched Eric Belanger once be pulled off the ice at Calgary when he was traded to the Washington Capitals, and it was pretty, I mean, it was just fascinating watching him, like, you know, like, as a beat writer, you don't normally get to see that moment where a guy realizes, uh-oh, my life's been just turned upside down. And, you know, I think it was a game day, right? It wasn't a practice day. Capo's head was in game mode, yeah. right? Um, pre-game skate, not focused, you know, he, I'm sure he was aware it was trade deadline day, of course, but he wasn't thinking about that at that moment. Yeah. And, you know, so when I was able to pull him off, you know, I, I just said, hey, you know, I told him he had to get off the ice. And the first thing that he, his mind went to was something happened to his family or something happened to his girlfriend. And he goes, just let me know. Just please tell me that my family's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. He didn't oh, even boy. think about, yeah. you know, he didn't even think about the hockey side of it. It was mm-hmm the human side of it. Yeah. And I just said, yeah, you know, I, I acknowledge that everything was okay. You know, and then of course, shortly after Billy spoke with him. Yeah. Wow. That's a uh, tough man. And uh, he's gotten off to a rough start in San Jose too. So hopefully, you know, and that's where you, you like, you build relationships with these guys, you know, Capo was in, within our, you know, he, what he was drafted in 2014. Yep. So he spent a good char- chunk of his life with our organization. And, you know, you see guys, you know, Shortly after the trade deadline, Colorado came in and Sturm, Sturmy was already here. And so you got to just say hi, hi to them again and, and check in on them. And um, that's where the banter continues. Mm-hmm. You know, you, something pops up in the news or something you read reminds you of a certain player. You just shoot him a text and hope all is well. And, yeah. you know, just check in those on them. Those are life moments. I still, like, as you're telling this, I'm, I'm remembering uh, being at, at uh, Braemar one day when, uh, when Ryan Suter's wife ran in there to get him off the ice at a pre-skate because, uh, because his dad had yeah. heard a heart attack. So, yeah, you're, you're, you, don't, you think that it's, like, obvious that he's getting traded, and the first thing he thinks about is, oh, boy. You know, and so. I think I, I, I saw you put that tweet out today about, you know, bring some questions in, right? Yeah. So I just scrolled through, and, you know, one of the questions was, what's your, your best or, or most remembered Boudreaux story? Yeah. And yeah, talking, was, talking yeah. about the human side of things. Yeah. Um, that that preseason game yep. where Bruce's his brother had a heart attack and passed away. Yeah. And for me to be that, you know, Crystal had called me and I wondered why she was calling me during the game. Mm-hmm. And to to be that person to to pull Bruce into his office and tell him that his brother had passed away. That's that really puts the human side of things into perspective of, you know, we're more than just a, a work group we're more than just an organization it's a family group yeah no doubt about it um i'm trying to find this joke that john anderson said uh so john anderson was then coached the next exhibition game for bruce and he um, i think i just found it he goes uh oh my god he like took a shot at tyler ennis i'm gonna find it but oh okay yeah he, so th- this is when we uh, like like that one di- game that that Bruce Boudreaux didn't coach. Um, we were talking about Tyler Ennis, and he goes, "What does he weigh? A little bit more than a Kleenex?" <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, and so I'm like, "Oh, okay, this is gonna be fun. Let's have him uh, be out here a little more often." <laughs> What's your funniest Bruce Boudreaux story, though? Oh gosh, uh, you know. Bruce having the nickname of Gabby, right? Like it was, I don't know if I can really pinpoint one moment, um, but it was, Bruce and I had a great relationship, right? And we still do. Um, But I I don't know if I can pick one funny story, 
but it was just the, the daily day-to-day life of it right yeah, yeah, day-to-day life and and um you know but it's the day-to-day life with as each coach comes and goes yeah you know having having seen philadelphia a couple times now this year being able to catch up with mike yo and um you know john torchetti being yeah. an assistant coach out there getting time with him and chuck fletcher being able to come in for the miko koivu event yeah. and you know it it's amazing how tight of a, a group that it remains over the years and everyone knows it's a business but it's a friendship and and um just relationships being built no doubt about it uh, let's run through twitter questions uh i got some really good ones that saved on here um we've we've talked about this before but why whitey again jackson wants to know uh, why is your nickname yeah, whitey? whitey whitey came um to be back in my baseball days um and the the back when i was with the twins um the the group of guys just i don't know how it started but um they just one day started calling me whitey uh-huh. and i ended up getting a full-time job with the tampa bay rays and i i um said all right fresh new start nobody knows my name nobody knows who i am <laughs> and my vp at the time picked me up at the airport and he opens the door and he says hop in whitey let's go so of course the the word traveled that um that was my nickname and and um the 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 day that it stuck i was with the rays and we had an off day and i ended up going freshwater scalloping with a buddy and uh, out in the gulf of mexico for about 12 to 14 hours and got completely burnt like to a point of uh, my skin was going to fall off and i go back into the the clubhouse the next day and i walk into the coach's room and um, our bullpen uh bullpen coach at the time bobby ramos looks at me and he goes damn whitey use some sunscreen (laughs) and it stuck from there so that's uh it's traveled from minnesota to to florida back to minnesota and 14 years later it's still here i love this question because we we joke about this all the time i always call you the george costanza of the wild (laughs) but uh minnesota weather geek uh goes are you the only one are you part of a team you're a one-man team. You know what? It, yes. Each organization is different. Some, you know, most teams have two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would say, you know, I think you wrote that article a couple of years ago. I'm a department of one. Yeah. But again, there's so many different moving parts where I lean on, you know, Tony DaCosta or Aaron Sickman or, or John Worley or, you know, all the support staff and the management group. Um, so, yes, I'm the only person that does my job but it's uh it's definitely a team effort and um i would say that my personality is so uh point a that i i want to have my hands on everything to make sure it's done right yeah I and i don't have to that. worry and i uh so I, i'm not going to complain i'm just one yep i could appreciate that um wild boys wants to know do you ever sleep <laughs> my wife asked me that too um you know what? You can really, you never, like, you know, when I go to bed, I put my phone on silent. You can't do that. No, it's, my phone's on loud at all times. Um, and I have a 15-month-old at home as well. So juggling juggling him and, and you know, my home life plus the, the hours of being on my phone and being on work-related. Um, I'd say I'm good with four hours. <laughs> four hours a night is a good night. Um, but... I've never needed a lot of sleep. And when we're on the road and changing time zone to time zone or long, you know, long flights or late arrivals, um, you can't function off of too many hours. So, right. Right. Um, I guess that's a skill that I was born with. 
Uh, it's about to get loud here. Uh, I'm this. I'm the idiot that in the second busiest convention city in the world, probably other than Vegas, I decided to set up shop in front of a ballroom at my hotel <laughs> here in Nashville. So I uh, apologize if you can hear this. Although I did that uh, Chris Stewart podcast from the Hockey Expo a couple of weeks ago, and I don't think it could have been louder. I'm looking for this funny pot, uh, question I got, but of course I can't find it. Um, but... Uh, Let's see. Let's let's go to some of the, my liked questions. I liked a bunch. There were actually some really good ones here. So um, this is why I always put this out because they always ask better questions than me. Um, random user, we talked about. The, what's the hardest situation that you've ever gotten a, get, to get a player to the game? Was that the De- Dubnik one or any oh, others? A, a player specifically, or just a team a travel? Player. A player specifically was. Um, specifically would probably be the Devin Dubnik when we traded mm-hmm. for him from Arizona and needed to get him into Buffalo, New York um, the next night. Um, the deal went down about 7.30 p.m. Um, and that was my first, that was my sixth day on the job. Yeah. Um, and Chuck Fletcher, had. <laughs> Chuck Fletcher called me and said that we had made the trade for goalie Devin Dubnik and we needed him here by the next night to uh, to play. Um, as you know, we were on that losing streak at the time and we needed to try and get a new life into the, the team. And um, so I called Devin confidently and said, hey, you need to jump on a red-eye flight, middle seat jet blue, mm-hmm. connecting through Newark to get into Buffalo at 6 a.m. so you can play. And I said, it is your, op- you know, it's your, your choice, but this is what we'd really like you to do. And, um, we got him here. We ended up winning. I think what was it, seven, seven two? Yeah, seven, seven nothing. Seven nothing. And yeah. um, and then later that, as our relationship built, um, Doobie also found out that that was only my first week on the job, and he he just chuckled because he's like, "You came in so confident, telling me this was my only option." So I'm like, "If this guy's telling me I got to do it, I got to yeah. do it." Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was a tough one. Um, and then yeah, it's the you, Calgary Fire was your first day. The Calgary right? Fire Basically, was first road it, it trip. Was, that was a tough one yeah. as well. And I know you had written about that yeah. so um, um but the you know another tough one was last year when we traded for ian cole you know that was yeah, during that was, the, the pandemic yeah. and the only way that we were able to get that trade off was because we could put him in a car service yeah and get him from um la to anaheim and swap players with 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 colorado yeah so isn't it amazing like you look back that was only what uh that was two january so it was last january so it was 14 15 months ago like years from now we're gonna look back at how weird this pandemic is like you could not put him like they couldn't take the team bus because the team bus needed to be like 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 disinfected to go back so you had to like take a i mean it, yeah like, i think you look that's back where some of these things and you just like Years from now, we're going to be around. Like, remember that time when, uh, like, we all had to wear gloves and, you know, like... And I think it was the unknown, right? Yeah. We were so bound and determined to get to the end goal that we didn't want to misstep. Yeah. So, we, we took the... We took the the route of over-caution, yeah. over-cautious, and I think that's what, you know, made some of these situations happen. Yeah. Um, but, at the end of the day, it's, yeah, we can look back and laugh or cry ha- cry really um but, but it's that's funny what, when you look back at the end of your career like yeah one of the most challenging things i ever had to do was get a player from la yeah. to anaheim you and know? that's like what, it should be the easiest trade in history you know some now that we're back traveling full that's what is so interesting is because we we're coming into some of these cities as we sit in nashville right now right. it's been two and a half years since we've been here i know and they're a divisional team that we 
haven't played or seen in two and a half years in the city. So coming in and seeing the same hotel reps and, and the same bus driver, Pat, who, you know, he was excited just to see my phone number pop up. And, um, you know, I think that's what's been so fun and kind of, of you know, energizing mm-hmm. is, is to get back into this normal travel and see these people that we haven't seen in years who were normally part of our normal our normal life. I love this question from Maddie. What players are the easiest to reach and what players are the hardest to get a hold of? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, current or former? Uh, both. I would say, you know... Who's every, the hardest players? Like, you call and you're like, uh, can you just call back? Or well, can I say pets? it now? Miko Koivu. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no he... Uh, it's, every, every guy has a different personality and every guy has a different, you know tendency or or quirk or whatnot and that's what makes this job fun is just learning personalities of every (laughs) single guy and learning that you know you need to do this to to kind of spark this guy or you need to do this to make sure this guy responds or um you know i would say i would say this zuccarello is the funniest guy to interact with on this current team Uh uh-huh just because of his past experiences with new york and his his uh you know quirky personality his his yeah his tendencies his his he's a very simple human being but he's also an amazing team guy that looks out for the group as a whole and you know whether i roll my eyes at some of the things zuki says and does yes but at the end of the day does he mean well every single time something comes out of his mouth 100 percent. yeah i'm gonna do a podcast once and tell about the hardest agents to get a return <laughs> uh call back from that I'd like to do one right now, actually, <laughs> talk about one agent in particular. Um, here's a good one. Nick, uh, this is the Mark andre Fleury question. Do players fly commercial or charter after a trade? First class or coach? That's a good one. Like you know, Jake, you know, like a guy like Jake Middleton, giant. You put him in first that, class. Who picks him up from the airport? Who's their main point of contact? It's different every time, I'm sure. Yeah, like I said, it, it goes back to... to this is the very first impression that the team that the guy's going to mm-hmm. have with this the organization, mm-hmm. and you know, again credit to Craig and Billy and and Chris O'Hearn on allowing the budget to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I I might be biased, but we do everything at a very first class level, mm-hmm. and um, you know a lot of it's directed by the CBA too. You know, first class flights or or travel restrictions, and and but you know we do our best to to get the best flight option, best first class option. Um, and then whoever, you know, whether myself picks them up or, or Billy goes and picks mm-hmm. them up or whoever, make sure that someone's there to welcome them and answer any question um, that they have as, you know, they restart their life in a new city. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hideki asks, what's some interesting requests from players you've been asked of? Uh, I always hear about uh, concert riders like you know take the uh orange m&ms out or something <laughs> well i will say you know going back to bruce one of the funny things was he needed to have you know two oranges and and three granny smith apples and two diet cokes in every hotel room that was just his that's what he wanted that was his routine um and it's not absurd but it's unique right or um but 
How about his uh, his cheese? Uh, the ham ham sandwich. Yeah. The the buttered 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 ham sandwich. But um, I just I always found it fascinating that Bruce Boudreau hated cheese. <laughs> yeah, like, he, he liked it cheese. on pizza. I'll have a cheeseburger hold the cheese. Remember he had like a, and it was more comical. But when we were in Edmonton and you had chicken parm sandwiches after uh, practice and there was cheese on it, and he, he had like a meltdown. <laughs> um, but as far as players go, they're pretty simple. You know, you have. I will say this: you have your. Your certain pregame meals that guys like, um, certain, you know, the breaded chicken or, um, you know, things that they like before the game. You know, Fleury likes a certain type of oatmeal now before the games. So, you know, we try to accommodate that. And, um, you know, there's just little things, but nothing too over the top um, comparable to, to, you know, artist riders and whatnot. Yeah, right. Um, Hideki, what's the coolest part of being part of the Wild organization that the average fan wouldn't understand? You know, I do, think... Do, do in a way that you're not kissing everybody's yeah, butt, yeah, though. Yeah, right? like, oh, no. just, you know... <laughs> like, what, is, what is cool part of that? Like, you, you have a lot of perks, too. I mean, you have a bat phone. You can... Yeah. Tickets. Uh, I mean, you, you know, you have, I'm sure a player comes to you is like, hey, I need a car guy. You have a car guy. I mean, you, that's the cool part of your job is you, you have relationships all over the freaking city, probably the country. And, and I think um, you're right. Yeah. It's one yeah. of those where I, if you ask my, my wife that, she'd say there's a lot of pros and there's a lot of cons. Yeah. Right. But there is a lot of perks to the job and there's just, it's, it's all, it's a people person job um, that you get to know people throughout the whole U.S. and, and to make, you know, I, everyone needs "quote unquote" that guy, yeah. or everyone has a guy, and I, you know, I think I fall into that category for a lot of things, as you know, players or, or management need stuff, and um, you know, I always say if I lost my phone, I'd be, I'd be all of us, all of us, yeah. So, um, so I think there's, but to be honest, the coolest part about working in sports is being so close to the action without being on the ice. Yeah. You know, every single one of us, and, and I'm not trying to be too cliche or, or you know, like you said, too sappy on mm-hmm. it all, but everyone within our travel party or even the organization, but it's specifically our travel party, we're so close to the action every single day. And we live and die on the wins and losses. Yeah. And we, we, we're on the same grind that the 23 guys on the ice are on, mm-hmm. right? We put just as much work into it to make this thing run as they do. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you asked every single one of us in the, the room, what's our end goal? It's to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. And, you know, just as excited as a player is to put a ring on or hold the, the trophy up, so am I. So to be a, a included and attached to that, um, it's not even, you know, really describable until you actually live it. And especially because... I, and I don't know if it's unique just to hockey because I've really, I mean, I've covered every sport, but pretty much only hockey. But I always feel like the support staff in hockey is considered part of the team with the players. Like if you ask any player in that locker room, they are, if, if they win a Stanley Cup, they're going to be just as excited to watch you and Tony DaCosta and John Worley lift the cup as they are, you know, Nick Delorier and Jonas Brodin. I mean, it's, that's a unique thing about hockey is that you are, a teammate. hundred percent. And yeah. I think, and I actually lived through that too with baseball. Like, you know, baseball group, they're, they're very tight, but you have different levels of, of say baseball. You have, it's a, it's a individual success team sport. You have the pitcher versus the batter. You have your bullpen guys, you have your position guys, you have your outfielders, um, all of course working together to win. But 
if the group on the ice isn't clicking or if the, the roster isn't clicking or if, you know, Tony DaCosta is not sharpening the skates or if, mm -hmm. or if, you know, Sean Skahan's not doing, you know, the stuff in the weight room, it's not going to end well or, you know, everything. It's a jigsaw puzzle that if you're missing one piece, it's not going to be completed. No doubt. Um, yeah. I mean, cool job that you have uh, as busy as it is. I would say even mine, like, you know, like, obviously, I'm not part of the team. and But, you know, same thing when you mentioned being part of the action. I had this I had this moment yesterday in Washington just walking around that arena, running into guys like Ovechkin and TJ Oshie after. It's like, you know, what a cool job that afterwards you can just run into a pl uh, one of the great players of all time and just shoot the breeze with him for a couple minutes. And, you, you know, you know I, down at the GM's meetings last week and just shooting the breeze with NHL players that have played this game forever or been the part of the game and... You know, same thing Raleigh the other day, you know, being in the bowels of an arena that fans never get to be in, you know, it's just, it's a neat job that all of us have, you obviously in a very different perspective. And I think you're right. And I think, you know, as, as frustrating and, and hard as the job can be at times, that's where you need to just take a deep breath and take a step back mm -hmm. and say, you know, 99% of the fans would dream to be in this, yeah. this actual, this current situation mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Except and today on my travel problems, 99% <laughs> exactly. of the fans listening could have that. Exactly. It's all yours. <laughs> and so. I think too, like you I, said, I should have called you today. Like, why do you have a problem? I can't get out of DC. Get well, me out of here. When you texted me that, I said, oh gosh, how is he going to need help now? Right. <laughs> um, but even too, like looking at, you know, Krill break the record Yeah. to build it, you know, personally give him a handshake and say congratulations yeah. after the yep. game um, on a moment that, you know, it's been years in the making right yeah. or since it's been broke so just little things like that they're really i don't it doesn't go unappreciated you want to hear one perspective and i'm not trying to throw shade at the record because it's unbelievable the guy's an unbelievable player so the other day i looked up how many when he t tied the record against the penguins and remember they announced it during the game with like sydney and getting on the bench and i was thinking to myself that deep down if they heard that announcement evgeny and sid had to look at each other wait what 83 points is the wild record for scoring. So I looked up how many times a Penguin player has exceeded 82 points in Pittsburgh Penguins history. 70 times. I believe, you know, 70, 83 point guys. You look Pittsburgh at, you know, Penguins. and you look at their, you look at their team and you look at the teams they've had and the, the players they've had. It doesn't surprise me. Um, let's talk jo about, jo Hey, let's talk about that in 10 more years and see how many I, we have. That's a good point. And he let's might have that. 10 of them. Josh, Yo, though, uh, our Pittsburgh athletic writer had a great line to me. He said 83 points was a bad first half for Mario. So the final couple of questions, really good ones here. Hideki, do you have free time and what do you do with it? Yeah, I think, and again, credit to Billy um, for creating the family first mentality. Um, you know, it's a it's a work life balance that it took me many years to accomplish. Um, but especially now that I have a, a son and another one on the way, mm -hmm. um, you need to you need to break away from it and. Um, you get into a routine of knowing when you need to look at the phone and prioritizing and and um, time management. But I'd say if you don't have the work-life balance, I'd be already done in this job. Yeah, you got to build a find a release. And um, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to to kind of learn that early enough in my career to survive. Yeah, and luckily with a smartphone these days, it's not like. Well, you know, the old days where you have to call a travel agent. It, I mean, I can only. Funny you say that because uh, you know, traveling from where were we? We were, we started this trip in Carolina, yeah. um, and went to Washington. And and Tom Reed, who we all know is our radio voice, um, he had accidentally left his phone 
on the plane. <laughs> um, and he was sitting next to me on the bus and, and it was funny because Lou, Lou Nanny was on the TV side of it this trip as well. And um, they were D partners for nine years back with the North Stars. And mm-hmm. the banter hasn't stopped, right? It's the same exact banter that they had, you know, back then as they do now. And so, so TR's feeling around in his pockets and says, oh, man, I left my phone. And Whitey, how can we, you know, what's the, the options? And um, But it, it, we went on to talk about nowadays what if i lost my phone for a day yeah. what would that what would that even consist of and i said i would i don't know i would panic and um yeah. this thing is gold and like you said smartphones have really i wouldn't say made the job easier because then the, you know the expect expectations are immediate but um it definitely makes the day-to-day work and logistics a lot easier yeah no doubt about it like today i i finally said the hell with it screw delta and within one minute i booked myself a flight on american so <laughs> finally uh you know but it, i mean that's what it all it takes yeah. on an app boom done uh keith Landgrave, the perfect segue here final couple questions for you andrew um who's the most famous person in your phone contacts who he knows would answer his call or text Ooh, that's a good one that is um, a good one i don't know if i'm allowed to answer this one right now because uh billy g always says i name drop and he mm-hmm. you know tony DeCosta says he wears steel-toed boots around me and all that <laughs> Nice, you know, but no, joking, all jokes aside, um, again, being able to work in the sports industry for this many years, you know, you, it just builds up over the years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't look at them as, as, oh, wow, I have so-and-so in my phone, you know, because you, you become acquaintances or friends with them. Um, let's see, who would it be? Uh, Joe Maurer, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Lindsey Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Madano, but again, he's, yep. you know, he's part of our organization. But By the if, way, I'm three for three. I got all those numbers <laughs> in my phone. Um, let's see. I got I to gotta be able to stump you then. Um, let's see. Lead singer from Mark, OAR. Mark Robert. Yep. I actually saw Richard on their guitarist. Okay. I have Benji's um, number on my phone. Uh, the, he, they live in Washington, so yeah. him and his family came out to the game last night, and we were able to catch up. Oh, that's cool. Um, but, you know, just, again, it's... it's yeah, I watched an OAR uh, documentary once, and they, it was so cool. They were, they're from Maryland, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. and it was, oh, man, it was such a you great... You know, 12-year-old me would say Patrick Renna. Yeah. Ham from yep. Sandlot. Yep. Became yep. friends, you know, acquaintances cool. over I the years. Ham. Um, you know, we did a thing with the Twins. When I was with the Twins, we did a, a 20th anniversary of Sandlot, so we got yep. to got to know them. Um uh, yeah, it, again, it's it's just Man, relationships. You know, it, it's funny with the everybody because everybody always says say, say, with me and name dropping too. We should have like a little <laughs> contest after this. Just go through our phones. And, uh, uh, I, I, I got. I definitely. I mean, that's the cool part. Like of my like my contact. Same thing though. It's like you know, like if I ever lost this, um, but yeah, I mean, there's probably most famous hockey players in the world are in exactly. my phone. It's pretty neat. And that's where you you know yeah. you you look at it and you're like you don't even think about it, but. You know, say I'm out for buddy out for drinks with my college buddies, and they just want to get a yeah. get their hands on this. Just yeah. to I had that recently. Like somebody's like, "Show me Wayne Gretzky's number." I'm like, "Here." <laughs> um, all right, uh, two more. Um, we're gonna, I'm gonna end the one, the last one because this is a question that everybody asks all the time. So let me just start with this one. Um, this is a good one from Kevin. Is there a player that stands out to you as the most Minnesota nice who went above and beyond and appreciate appreciation for your work? You know, I think. Gosh, Pross, Nate Prosser, um, Ryan Carter. Yeah. Um, 
you know, those are Nick Backstrom, Miko. Like, there's so many that, like I said in my earlier, you know, response, each guy has such a different personality and you build a different type yeah. of relationship with them. And, you know, again, throughout the whole support staff, the players know that they, you know, they couldn't be there without the help of everyone around them. So they mm -hmm. appreciate, they truly appreciate the work that we do. Um, but it, you got to think of the, the Minnesota names, like I had mentioned, and um, Thomas Vanek. Yeah. He's, he's I, I another only, one. I only brought up Pross just because I remember when you the, the like the last time that you guys got him out of St. Louis, how you were on the phone <laughs> with him, and he was just like almost in tears, yeah. appreciative because so excited he was living to in hear. a hotel, exactly. and you know it wasn't anything to do with exactly. the blues. It was more yeah. like. You know, just his coming family. back home, yeah, right? Absolutely. So, uh, uh, last question, and this is a question that so many people ask me all the time. Um, Eric Jacobson, when players are traded to get, do they get relocation expenses? Does the team pick up the hotel expenses in the home city? What about moving realty? Um, same thing with free agents, any re relocation and reimbursement. What's the CBA say? It's, that's a good, that's a, a very relevant question. Yeah. As I was on the phone this morning with um, the, the car hauler, the moving company, and uh, another um, wine inventory distributor, as we're looking to, to you know, Re, you know, transport a, a, a collection of wine on one of our guys. Ah, but um, no, we, that is. we, you know, it's one of those yeah. things where, yes, a lot of it's, it's a lot of it's directed by the CBA. Yeah. A lot of it's, it's cut and dry, yeah. you know, and that makes my job easier because yep. I can go back and look and say, Hey guys, you know, welcome to Minnesota, but these are the steps we're going to yeah. take. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is, is on the new organization. Um, whether it be rent reimbursement or rental car or, or you know, car hauling or, um, you know, hotel until you get into your new spot, yeah. um, getting your family here per diem. You know, it's all the things that, again, make the transition as easy as possible. Yeah. Um, and it goes back to just, you know, looking at the CBA, but maybe even going a tick above yeah. to make sure that they know that they're coming into a first class organization, yeah, which I know you guys do a lot. Uh, you know, that, uh, you know, really obviously treat these guys first class. And, you know, it's funny. You just, I think brought up flurry. Um, you know, with, with, with like I was, we do have a cool job. Like I was cleaning out my pictures the other day. I just like, all of a sudden I look at my guy, like I got 5,000 pictures on my phone. So I start cleaning it through and it, man, it was like going down a history lesson. So I was showing Fleury and Raleigh. I have pictures of him in like 2009 during like media availabilities, um, 2016, 17. And then again for, for Vegas. I'm like, you, is there one thing you notice about all these pictures? And he's like, what? And I'm like, you look exactly the same. <laughs> Like his pictures in 09, his pictures in Vegas, his pictures today when I took, they're all the same guy. He doesn't age. It's funny you bring that up because a couple of days ago, we pulled up the famous draft photo, right? Yep. With, with um, gosh, what was that class? It was Vanek. It was Dustin uh, Brown. It was uh, Stahl. Yeah. It was Nathan Horton. Um, yeah, uh, it, all those guys. But, and it was Flurry. Yep. And, you know, Flurry's sitting front and center. And yes, he looks younger, but again, he looks the exact same. Yeah, it's crazy. And, Gets yeah, all those guys, you know. And, yeah. and that's a that's another guy. Actually, it's crazy. Suter. You know, of course, friends and family have reached out and said, you know, it's exciting to have Flower, you know, in the locker room. And how's the transition been? And I said, I've been fortunate enough again to be able to work alongside yeah. him. Um, and I compared it to when I was an intern with the Vikings and Brett Favre mm -hmm. got brought in. And when I was with the twins and Jim Tomey got brought yeah. in. 
And, you know, you just have that level of excitement because he's such an established, you know, player. And and it's just exciting to have him be around the guys and be around the room and, you know, still has that same end goal to win another Stanley Cup. No doubt about it. Yeah, it really is probably the most famous uh, hockey player that's ever played for the Wild. And the Wild have had a couple, but nothing. Like, they had Eric Stahl and they had Owen Nolan. And, you know, I'm just trying to think, like, guys late in their careers that came in, but not a... Not a whole lot, and and so it's it's pretty it's a pretty cool thing to you know. I, I was saying at the start, I think at the start of this podcast, I, I did the open from Ronald Reagan Airport today, <laughs> and I think I said this, but although that feels like twenty hours ago, but you know, the, the one thing I do wish is that like the locker rooms were open because you cover Mark Andre Fleury and the fun of covering him. Like when I covered them in twenty eighteen in Vegas, um, you know, it's just hanging out by his stall, listening to him just you know yuck it up it's it's pretty cool thing well andrew this was a treat um you know really appreciate i think fans just love this type of stuff because you know as i think as fun as your job is to everybody out there i think it also when they hear you talk they realize how stress inducing it would make them you know (laughs) to sit there and be responsible for every single uh logistical action especially on the road for these guys and you know, I can only imagine you those times when there's like a flight delay or a maintenance issue. Like those got to be the most stressful times because who's who's getting blamed? It's you. <laughs> I always say I get blamed for the weather. I get blamed for the traffic yep. and uh, any maintenance issue. Yep. But no, I appreciate you. I would have blamed you, uh, you for my flight today. <laughs> no, were, I appreciate you bringing me back on. And yeah. Let's hope my next big task is uh, planning this deep run that we're hoping yeah, for. Yeah, that's so. true. Um, and now, just to actually tell people how that will work. So. Say with like three games left in the season, you still don't know if you're playing St. Louis, Nashville, Calgary, whatever. Do you book hotels for all the cities? How does that all work? The communication actually starts, you know, probably about next week. I'll start reaching out to, you know, the potential cities. I think this year it's it's actually a smaller list than we've dealt with in the past. Right. I think, you know, what I don't know what year it was. A few years back, I think there was a potential six different teams that yeah. we could go to. Um, and there was and still that chance. short shrift. I <laughs> there won't say was, which market. There was still the uh, chance that we'd have home ice. And, you know, so now this this list is pretty short this year. Um, but again, next, in a, a week or so, I'll start to reach out to the hotels and, and that, you know, get on the phone with my Delta contacts and, you know, really build out three to four different options and then you know come that conclusion or come the the day that it's decided i'll be able to hit the button and only have to do 20 percent of the work instead of you know 100 percent of the work yeah i can't believe that we're going to st louis oh my god (laughs) don't you think that we deserve nashville don't you think that andrew all right thank you this was uh this was fun that's andrew height wilds team uh, vice uh, director of team yeah. operations. You should be a vice president of team <laughs> operations. That's Andrew Height. Here's a word from one of our sponsors. My thanks to Andrew Height for joining today straight from the source. Big week for the Wild ahead. They play at Nashville on Tuesday, then at St. Louis on Friday, and then uh, come home for a two-game homestand against the Los Angeles Kings and the Edmonton Oilers before hitting the road again against Dallas and St. Louis. Thanks uh, again for listening to Straight from the Source. As you know, podcast throughout our uh, platform here at The Athletic, Brian Boyle of the Pittsburgh Penguins is Sean Gentile's 
uh, and guest co-host Max Boltman's guest this week on the Athletic Hockey Show USA and follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a rating and review. Subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. This week, the Wednesday Roundtable provides the bonus content. Start with a 30-day free trial, then just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just a buck a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Talk to you next week, everybody. Thank you.